It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, is anyone listening to the wisdom of the Bible? Coming up in this episode, is there a difference between being a person of wisdom and being intelligent? There is, and it's a big difference. Because we're always in such a hurry, we tend to forget all that goes into developing true wisdom. Today, we uncover four characteristics that can bring us from just being smart to being wise. Now, here's Rick and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Julie, our CQ contributor for several years now. Hi, Rick. Julie, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? James 1, 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It seems like wisdom has become old-fashioned and obsolete. When I think of wisdom, I think of the thoughtful approach that's not driven by self-interest. I think of quiet observation that seeks to understand the people, the facts, and the circumstances before weighing in with the answers. When I think of wisdom, I think of my grandma, Helen. She lived a hard life and yet judged no one, always found a way to help and contribute, and continually guided others toward their best and most integrity-filled path. When I think of wisdom, I think of Jesus. I think of his everyday life, his teaching, his obedience to his Father, and his selflessness. When I think of wisdom, I don't ever think of our day, our tech-driven, opinion-heavy, and reaction-riddled approach. So what happened? Where did we go wrong? So it's about wisdom today and the wisdom of the Bible versus what's happening today. And to begin with, there are a lot of ways to define wisdom. For our purposes today, we're going to refer to Google's English Dictionary, which is provided by Oxford Languages. So Julie, quick definition of wisdom. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And I found this description on psychologytoday.com. Psychologists today tend to agree that wisdom involves an integration of knowledge, experience, and deep understanding as well as tolerance for the uncertainties of life. There's an awareness of how things play out over time, and it confers a sense of balance. So that definition adds that important factor of dealing with uncertainty and having balance regardless of our circumstances. And that's such an important uh, part of wisdom is to understand that wisdom thrives in uncertainty if it's the right kind of wisdom. And here's the thing, we're not born with wisdom. It always, by any human being, always has to be learned. Jesus himself had to develop wisdom. We know that because the scriptures tell us. Julie, let's go to Luke 2, 39 to 40. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And also verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So this is the beginning of Jesus' life, and it says twice that he's increasing in wisdom. So, so wisdom in the scriptures, what's the definition there? So the Greek word is Sophia. So if you know any Sophias or Sophies, you now know that their name means wisdom. And the Greek English lexicon defines it as wisdom, broad and full of intelligence, used in the knowledge of very diverse matters. 
And curiously, the root word in the Greek means clear and wise. But why clear? See, clear to me is is the key to wisdom because when it's clear, everything makes sense. If you look into very clear water at the bottom of the at the ocean, you can see every single detail. But then just rub your hand through the sand and see what you can see. That's what wisdom is versus our typical view of uh, of the world. It's that crystal clear water that you can see everything, every little fish, every little detail of every little piece of coral. It's all right there. So we see that even Jesus wasn't born with wisdom. Wisdom has to be developed over time. But, you know, it seems like this, you know, you're talking about, you think of your grandma. It's kind of a quaint, old-fashioned idea. I'm looking at myself in studying for this, and I I pray for help in making decisions. I want to be a good example or give good advice. So indirectly, I'm praying for wisdom, but I'm not sure I've thought to actively pray for wisdom. Do you pray for wisdom? Every single day. You do? I do. I act very specifically because so many times in life that you're faced with the circumstance where the answer is needed. And in my mind, what I have learned over time is that the answer that I truly want to give from the bottom of my heart shouldn't come from me. It should come from biblical principle, from following Jesus. And I want to just reflect that. And I don't do that naturally. So I'm always, especially with difficult situations, Lord, please, please help me see your wisdom and help me get out of the way. Okay. So Jesus' life, let's go back to that. Jesus' life was not only an example of godliness. It was an example of learning to apply God's ways. Matthew 13, 54 to 56. He came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of this? You think about it. Society back then was very, very specific. There was a very strong caste society, and the Pharisees were at the top of the heap. They were the ones who were supposed to know the answers. Jesus didn't have their education, didn't have their standing, didn't have their recognition. He was a nobody. He came from the nobodies. He was less than, and yet he had greater wisdom than all of them. And so it just shows you that he grew in wisdom because he was chosen of God, obviously, but he was learning the right things and developing them. Jesus had to develop wisdom as a man. It came through learning the Holy Scriptures and through his life experiences. Jesus' own wisdom displayed at least, at least four key elements. That's what we're going to focus on. As his disciples, let's model our pursuit of wisdom to include these same four characteristics. They are, first, understanding, then integrity, then humility, and then godly righteousness. There's the wise way of God and the foolish way of me, (laughs) or foolish way of self. So there's a difference between intellectually hearing these four words, integrity, uh, understanding integrity, humility, godly righteousness, um, and really understanding what they can do for us in our Christian walk. So to the best of our ability, we want to leave self behind and focus on godly wisdom. But that puts a lot of pressure and responsibility on us. Rick, you're a husband, a father, church leader, employer. A lot of people come to you for advice. What responsibility do you have to be wise? And do you have any lessons for us at a time that you might have been unwise? 
Well, the responsibility is endless for wisdom. I really, truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that, that the responsibility is endless because, again, you want to give people the best guidance possible. And yes, Julie, <laughs> unfortunately, thanks for bringing it up. Lots of times where failure uh, failure comes. I can remember one time... We, we want to hear all of those. Well, <laughs> <laughs> one time several years ago, in terms of a church meeting, church Bible study, we had some attending our Bible study that saw things differently. And I was trying to, to lead this study on a very, very difficult subject that was controversial because of okay. the group. And uh, there were these different opinions. And I was determined to give them audience, to give them a chance to express themselves. And I did. But what I didn't do is I didn't control it appropriately. And this went on. And this was our Sunday study. It went on for a couple of Sundays. And the, the rest of the, the, those attending the meeting were a little frustrated, like, wait, this is out of hand. And after one meeting, Julie, I'll never forget it. The, 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 those attending literally lined up in a line to come give me a piece of their mind. <laughs> and mm. one after another, they, they, they told me, this is, this is not right. This is not, we're not getting anything out of this. This is, and, 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 and they're going, they're all in line except for my wife, who's standing off to the side watching. And so after it's all over, you know, kind of shook it off and started to go home and, and, and we're talking and talking to her and saying, but this is what I'm trying to do. And she said, but it's not working. Why not try it this way? And she gave me, by standing and watching, she was able to observe and not be involved. And she gave me a way to approach the matter that changed everything. So I could give those individuals proper time, but I also started the meeting off with the, with the perspective that we held, gave them their time, and then the brotherhood had a way, a reference point. It changed everything. So it was a very unwise approach to trying to do the right thing. And it's just a great lesson that we all need to learn. So let's get to it now. Wisdom does need, uh, um, well, let's just understanding. Let, understanding, yes, it does. Wisdom needs understanding. Sorry, I lost my place there. Without a clear understanding of a matter, wisdom cannot be applied, for we don't know what we don't know. I mean, that's, that's the clarity here. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's it's best in our decision-making process. You know, sometimes we've got to make quick decisions, but sometimes we need to be slow and methodical, making sure we have the facts. And I was thinking of a practical application, you know, issues when we have to deal with other people. Let's say a friend comes to you with marital issues. It can happen, but rarely is any person 100% responsible for problems in a marriage or even between friends. And if you're asked to listen and give advice as a third party, it's difficult if you don't have the perspective of the second person, because any advice you give may be skewed with either presuming you know what's going on, or your judgment is based on just hearing that one side. Yeah, presuming is an enemy of wisdom. It's just a flat out enemy. When we are presumptive about things, we're taking wisdom's power away. We have to be very, very careful of that. Wisdom does work in conjunction with understanding, and both of those things require massive effort. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, and by the way, this is Solomon speaking about his father David, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you, love you, and she will watch over you. 
and Rick, I like that. Do not forsake her. She'll guard you, watch over you. Here, wisdom is being personified as a female. And it's that protectiveness that we're seeing from wisdom. And the scripture is telling us you need to acquire wisdom. You need to acquire understanding. It's not natural. And if you feel like it's natural, think again, because we have to grow higher than we are. Learn for the purpose of acquiring wisdom and understanding. And that phrase, she will guard you, I think that wisdom really can help us in situations of temptation. You know, wisdom says we won't just look at that immediate gratification, but we're going to pull back and see the bigger picture of its instability and its eventual consequences and hurt and damage. Wisdom is also going to recognize that connecting with certain people will eventually lead us away from our spiritual mission of honoring God. And that's profound. And, and we need to understand that wisdom can keep us very, very safe. Like you said, it, it, that's in the personification in Proverbs. Uh, we, then we have to live what we learn. It's, it's one thing to learn and say, okay, that makes sense. It's another thing to live it. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. So the idea is you buy it so it's part of you, so you own it. Get wisdom, get instruction, get understanding. This is critical for us. Having understanding is an amazingly important part of wisdom. Julie, there, there's a current event that just recently unfolded within the last month. It's a really fascinating story. Tell us a little bit about it. So the Associated Press reported uh, just last month, October 28, 2021, that a high school in Shreveport, Louisiana, was having a problem with students fighting, and around 24 students were arrested. This was a real problem. So get this. A group of about 40 fathers got together, calling themselves dads on duty, and they take shifts going to the school and walking around showing this strong male presence on campus. And one of the dads is quoted as saying, I don't care how old you are or what size you are. It's something about seeing a man, a positive male figure, a father, your daddy, or whatever you want to call him at the school. It will make you straighten up and fly right. And he said there hasn't been any fights on campus since they started. And now the school superintendent and sheriff's office are looking to replicate this for every school in the area and would love for it to go nationwide. Think so simple. It is. And, and, and there's such great wisdom in that. The wisdom of the, the, the higher, the upper generation giving guidance to the younger generation. We've lost our grip on that. So here's the thing. Let, let's go a little bit further. Now. What a great story that is. If we settle for a lack of understanding, it's going to result in our wisdom being blocked from development. Understand, we can provoke wisdom to be developed and we can block it. Why? Why does a lack of understanding block wisdom? Because we judge what we don't understand. We judge what we don't understand instead of finding the truth of the matter. What happens when we do that? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, what will be measured to you? Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, well, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We judge what we don't understand. And what Jesus is saying is, don't do that. You can't read that person's heart. You don't know. That's why understanding is so important. So do we want to judge with those circumstances, or do we want to be wise instead? I think as we focus on wisdom, let's go to James 3.13. 
Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And there's a hint as to what wisdom looks like. His deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom doesn't need a raised voice. It doesn't need, it doesn't need pressure. It simply needs to be present. And it commands respect by simply being there. So what we want to do here is we want to give wisdom a chance to work. Julie, what do we have? Wisdom will not develop in our lives if we are not actively seeking understanding on which to build it. Without understanding, there is only conjecture, which means opinions based on incomplete conclusions, and that is not something true wisdom can stand upon. So we need to understand that understanding is the key factor here to begin our search for real, true wisdom. So wisdom obviously can't flourish without a solid foundation of understanding that's easily said and also easily forgotten. We now see understanding as a foundation for wisdom, but how do we build this wisdom with integrity? Understanding is an external foundation for wisdom. It brings that which we observe into play so we can do something about it. Integrity is an internal foundation for wisdom that guides what we will do with the understanding that we've been given. Stronger integrity will yield more significant wisdom. It's an important equation. In other words, now that you have understanding, integrity will help dictate what you do with it. So someone with a lack of integrity might use it to harm others. Anything from evil speaking to corporate espionage. It's a pretty broad perspective, but you're right. Strong integrity yields more significant wisdom. So let's look at integrity because wisdom needs integrity, just like it needs understanding. Without integrity, without the core commitment to hold true to that which clear understanding dictates, wisdom is merely an outward proclamation with no inward substance. When we're talking about godly integrity, that's pleasing God rather than others or ourselves. And I wanted a quote from a blog post called Five Signs You Lack Integrity at CarrieNewhoff.com. And the link is going to be in the CQ Rewind show notes for this episode on ChristianQuestions.com and on the free CQ app in your app store. So two of the five signs you lack integrity, I thought were especially true. The first is you're hiding things. Hmm. And here's how the blog said, You shouldn't be telling everyone everything. That's not healthy. But someone needs to know everything. If you're keeping secrets, you're heading for a fall. Between my wife, elders, close friends, and counselor, I have an inner circle that knows everything about me. By the way, if you're afraid to give your password on your computer or phone to anyone in that circle, you're hiding things. Yeah, you know, and let's talk about that because that's an important part of life for me. And, and, you know, my wife, I hand her my phone all the time and she gets into it and she'll look for things on the phone. Our intermail, our, our emails are interchangeable. It just doesn't matter. We've got them both set up in both places because we work together on everything. And it's a, it's a very refreshing way to live. With integrity. Yeah, it, it shocks me that people don't live that way. Yeah. Um, and because we do the same thing, same email, same passwords. This reminds me, you know, this um, hiding things. Many years ago, I was starting out in the insurance industry. Our corporate home office was coming in for a file audit. And my boss calls me into his office and there's stacks and stacks of files on his desk. And he says, you got to help me carry these to my car. I got to put these in my trunk for the week that the auditors are here. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> so much for transparency. So my answer was, Absolutely not. Um, 
So I thought that was interesting. But one of the other things, uh, one of the other signs that you lack integrity that I picked out of this little article was you fail to do what you said you were going to do. And it says, this isn't just about keeping promises. It's about keeping your word in everything. Better to say nothing and surprise someone by delivering than blurt out an intention you can't fulfill. Ultimately, people lose confidence in you when you fail to deliver. And so let's talk about delivering in a, in, a, in a very different way, in a very scriptural way. Let's look at King David, because he delivered on something in a very remarkable way that I don't know if many of us would actually do what he did. King David learned what true wisdom and integrity were through the many mistakes and tribulations of his life. Now, we know that we've, we've gone and looked at that many, many times in Christian Questions. His unending desire was simply to honor God. So he sought to build God a house of worship. So now let's going to go to go, go, we're going to go to First Chronicles chapter twenty-two verses six through sixteen. We'll take it in sections and see how this transpired because this was a deep desire. He wanted to honor God. So Julie, let's do six through eight to start with. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, "My son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying." You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. So David heard what God said. He heard God say to him, no, you can't build this house. Your hands have blood on them. And David stayed true to those instructions from God. And that's because wisdom adheres to the highest good. Always adheres to the highest good. So David The highest good was God's will. David just stayed with that. Now, in verses 9 and 10, God tells David that he's going to have a son named Solomon. Now, obviously, the scripture started with he's talking to it, talking to Solomon, but this is giving the background. And God tells David in verses 9 and 10 that Solomon will be a man of peace, and he will build the house for God's name. David would now know what was before him, and in his integrity— to do God's will, he would not lose focus. And so when Solomon was finally old enough, David gave him the task. This is, this is, this is awesome stuff. We're in first Chronicles chapter 22. Julie, let's do 11 to 13. Now, my son, the Lord be with you that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord, your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion, and other translations use wisdom here, discretion and understanding, and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you're careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So let's, let's think about this. David is, is looking forward to this temple, and he knows he can't build it, and Solomon's finally old enough. So David now is talking to Solomon. And what's the most important thing? Solomon's now old enough. Old enough. What's the most important thing that David charges Solomon with? Well, it wasn't building the temple. It was, though, it was the care of Israel by following God's statutes and ordinances. It's, it's living up to what God was giving him to do as ruler. That was the most important thing. Yeah, because wisdom keeps things in perspective. The outwardly glorious things must always be subject to inward and sacred allegiance to God's will and ways. And, you know, it's, it's like David is telling Solomon, I've prepared your whole life for this moment. And here's the moment. Here's what I want you to do. Honor God the way you rule Israel. And by the way, build a temple. You know, so it's completely opposite of what we might think. 
David next reveals the proof of his wise and integrity-driven desire to honor God. He now is showing how he lived up to, to the best of his ability, what he could do in God's service. Now we're going to go to uh, 1 Chronicles 22, verses 14 to 16. And this is David speaking. Now behold, with great pains, I have prepared for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight for they're in great quantity. Also timber and stone I've prepared and you may add to them. Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters, masons of stone and carpenters are all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold, the silver and the bronze and the iron, there is no limit. Arise and work and may the Lord be with you. And, you know, David was a man of war, First Chronicles says, and Solomon, it says, was a man of rest. David put everything he had into making all these preparations, but was told no when it comes to the actual construction. Our lesson from the details that we had studied in episode 1130 about King David, that if you're not allowed to build a temple, provide the plans and materials for it by focusing on what you can do. That no answer becomes a godly opportunity. We can still receive blessings from a support role. So even though David couldn't do what his heart desire was, he did everything possible up to that point. David gave Solomon everything he would need to accomplish the God-honoring mission that he himself was not permitted, permitted to take part in. This is an awesome perspective of great godly integrity. Because wisdom's results are always inspiring when applied through an integrity-based approach. And it is so inspiring to see what David did and how he handed it off to Solomon and, and, the, and, and the work that happened afterwards. The integrity-based approach is what made this such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And David did all the work, but it's called Solomon's Temple. And <laughs> yeah. he was okay with that. Because it honored God. That's right. That's the key. That's the bottom line. That's the kind of integrity that we want to have. So now, what about the opposite? What if we try to approach a circumstance with wisdom without having, or, or while having a lack of integrity? The result is going to be an approach that looks good on the outside, but it's actually hollow. It's empty and it's unstable. Let's go to James chapter one, verses five through eight, and verse five is our theme scripture. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So first, first point here, being a double-minded man. We cannot have, we cannot live a double-minded life. This is what the scripture is saying. Ask God for wisdom. That has to be the true faith that God is our sole source of our wisdom provides the integrity for that wisdom. So if we're trying to base our wisdom on other things, the integrity of that wisdom is going to falter. The, the integrity has to be above, first, foremost, and always. So if you're interested in more on that topic, episode 1016, Am I a Double-Minded Christian?, and integrity is extremely important in any kind of leadership role. So think about how many people have suffered under bad kings and bad politicians. Yeah, and, and we have to look at this from a personal perspective. Maybe you're not going to be in that big leadership role. That doesn't matter. You should as strongly desire the wisdom of God in every aspect of your life. Think of the people that you can positively affect 
by using godly wisdom in every part of your life, no matter who you are, no matter where you're going. And, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we want our wisdom to be able to help solve issues, or do we want it to start new problems? Because earthly wisdom often starts new problems. James 3, 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. This, this is in the context of gaining wisdom. And James is saying that if we have the, these wrong motivations in our hearts, we will lie against the truth. Now think about that. That's not something any Christian wants to do. And, and so this wisdom, this earthly wisdom... Uh, that comes from down, or that, that doesn't come from above. It's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. Why? Because Satan rules through sin. Sin creates a brand of wisdom that is not godly. Our integrity has to be to hold to the wisdom that which is above. So giving wisdom a chance to work. Wisdom cannot develop without integrity. Integrity cannot exist without a clearly defined purpose. So what do we do? Let us stand on our purpose of becoming Christ-like so that our wisdom reflects the integrity of God's plan. Period. End of statement. Nothing else to add. That's what our wisdom needs to reflect. And Julie, that's why I pray for wisdom every single day because I try really hard, not don't always succeed, but I try hard to stay out of the way. You just want to be that conduit for godly wisdom, and that's a hard thing to do. Integrity is not easy, but if we want to have wisdom working in us and through us, it is something we need to strive for. It's becoming obvious that wisdom doesn't simply flourish on its own. What else does it need? The external foundation of understanding and the internal foundation of integrity give us the ability to perceive circumstances with wisdom. We can express that wisdom, but the question is, can we maintain it as a fixture in our lives? Keeping a wise outlook requires a steadfast dedication to humility, because without humility, <laughs> without humility, all is fleeting. Humility is the foundation of our walk with Christ, because without humility, the gospel message won't appeal to you long enough to have it change you. So I have a question. What's the difference between wisdom and discernment? That's a good question, because, you know, we, we look for discernment is be able to under, see the difference between things and, and to understand right. how it all works. And, and so discernment is a great, great tool, and it has a lot to do with understanding. But the question is, okay— if you can see how things work and you can discern this and that, what do you then do with it? See, we can take that discernment, we can apply it on all kinds of different levels. We can apply it with worldly wisdom, or we can apply it with godly wisdom. So like we could be manipulative. Yes, because now we've okay. discerned, and then we can take our own desire and say, I can take this and use it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, we can push our agenda, we can do this and that. Or we can do it with godly wisdom and say, this discernment, by applying purely godly principles, can bring us to this other end. That's the difference between wisdom and discernment. Now, wisdom 
absolutely positively needs humility. Wisdom without humility may benefit others for a time, but will certainly lead to the faltering and eventual collapse of its bearer and the potential discredit of its own advice. Wow, that's serious. Hmm. Um, You know, in the famous Sermon Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapters 4 and 5. They are deceptively simple. You know, we started studying this in our sister's study and practically spent two hours just laying the groundwork on who the audience of the Sermon on the Mount was. But that first beatitude is, blessed are the humble-minded or poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm thinking about this, and Rick, it's so contrary to human teachings. You know, earthly wisdom says, think highly of yourself. Make sure others see how good you are. Get the credit. Look important. And as far as success in earthly matters goes, this might be good advice, but Jesus teaches us the opposite. We need a humble appreciation of our own deficiencies and lack of wisdom in order to receive freely the wisdom that according to our theme text, God is pleased to give those with the right heart attitude who are able to receive it. So the more important and irreplaceable we think we are, the less our hearts will be drawn to hear what the Bible has to say. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it comes down to what we, we talked about earlier when, when you're putting that in the perspective of the, of the Beatitudes and having that humble spirit. You know, when you say, okay, look at me and see how good I am, you're demanding respect. Have, That's right. Have godly wisdom and you command respect, not for you, but for the Father from which that wisdom came. That's the whole difference of this thing. So let's take that thought. And let's go now, we talked about King David uh, turning things over to Solomon. Now Solomon is ready to take over. Let's look at Solomon, at, now that he's become king, let's look at his example, because it's profound in how he starts out just like his father. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness, and you've made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who could rule this great people of yours? So there's a lot there, Julie. We have to go back and break this down. Solomon is given an open-ended invitation by God, and he responds to that invitation with humility. God basically says to him, tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. Unbelievable. It is. It's an incredible (laughs) opportunity. So Solomon begins by recalling God's mercy to his father, David. He's beginning by saying, this is what you've done for my father. He's recalling, putting in place God's greatness right at the start. What else do we have? Well, he continues by being God-centered. Remember, he said, your promise to my father, David, is fulfilled. Right. Your promise to my father. You gave him a promise and you fulfilled it. So everything so far, he's, what do you want, Solomon? It's all about God. And that's an interesting thing. It's all about God. And he continued in humility. He says, you have made me king over Israel. He didn't say, I inherited the, the, the throne as I'm supposed to. That's my right. He says, right. you, God have made me king over Israel. What else? And you'd think that wasn't a big deal, but you contrast it with King Nebuchadnezzar, who said, (laughs) is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty? And we know what happened to him, Rick, right? 
Yeah, seven years of living like an animal. <laughs> and, and, you yeah, know, he lost his mind. He did, he did. And just, just, just a quick side story on this because it, it, it's, it's vivid. Every time I read that and think about that, I think of my dad because my dad, when we were at a Bible youth camp one year, we were studying Daniel and we did a, a, a skit on Nebuchadnezzar you know, losing his mind. And my dad, who was probably in his 70s at the time, uh, played King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, I want them to see how he lost his mind. So he, they, we dressed him up with this scruffy, you know, uh, furry kind of thing. And, and he's crawling around all fours. Now, now, and the kids are like, what is happening? And he's, <laughs> and he's putting his face down in the dirt and he's grabbing uh, grass and dirt and spitting it out and uh, making all kinds of Ew. noises. And the kids are like, ah. Because his object was, I want to show them that he just lost his, uh, his mind. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride. And, and Daniel warned him, don't be that way or this will happen. And sure enough, it did. So that's a great, great example of the contrast from Solomon at this point in his life to Nebuchadnezzar at that point in his life. So, uh, you know, he, he did continue in humility. What, what else do we have now? Well, uh, based on understanding integrity and humility, Solomon asks now, here's his big ask, wisdom and knowledge. So what do you want, Solomon? Tell me anything you want, anything at all. I want wisdom and knowledge. And then Solomon reiterates that it's the people of God that he is to rule. He's not saying wisdom and knowledge so I can rule my kingdom. He says wisdom and knowledge because these people are yours. This is a profound sense of humility before God with this huge opportunity and this huge responsibility. So what do we have? We have understanding, integrity, and humility. These are all fertile ground to plant the seeds of wisdom. So now let's go to God's answer to Solomon after Solomon asks God for wisdom and understanding. 2 Chronicles 1, 11 to 13. God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, and that Hebrew word mind means the inner man, the heart, you know, not just an intellectual decision. So because you had this in mind, it did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those that hate you, nor have you even asked for a long life, but you've asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you have possessed, nor those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place, which was at Gibeon, from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. And he reigned, at least beginning, with wisdom and knowledge, because that's the bottom line for him. That's what was in his heart. God's answer to Solomon's humble request for wisdom was a resounding yes. Now, why did God answer that way? First of all, God blesses heart service, not lip service. Wisdom can thrive when it comes from the heart. And this is such an important aspect. It's got to, it can't be just in your head. It's got to be sunken in. It's got to be living there. God recognizes Solomon's desire to rule, but with humility. Humble leadership brings wisdom. God fulfills the needs of one who seeks. Wisdom can grow as we acknowledge our insignificance. And see, that's the key. Acknowledging our insignificance. Acknowledging what we're not before God is a great exercise in learning how to grow. Because then you give space 
for God to fill that space of what you're not so he can make you what you should be. And then finally, what God does is God blesses in abundance. And being blessed with wisdom can lead to great abundance. It absolutely positively can. And so here's what we see. We see Solomon had it all. He had wisdom, he had knowledge, and God blessed him with this abundance. God blessed him, and what did he do? He blessed others. And remember, the most important instruction for a child is at home. So to help explain wisdom to your children, have them watch our CQ Kids video called What is Wisdom? at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So you see this, and you see the wisdom of David, and you see it passed on to Solomon, and you're thinking, man, what a wonderful story. What a wonderful story of God's blessing and wisdom and knowledge. If only it could be the end, right? (laughs) Right, right. However, it's not. Yes. It's not. One of the big problems with blessing and power and wisdom, one of the big problems is our human frailty. All the wisdom of the ages cannot overcome a crack in our humility armor. Many a great leader, including Solomon, fell victim to the idolatry of egotistical self-worth. There's nothing that will undo wisdom more quickly than egotistical self-worth. Let's look at 1 Kings 11, verses 3 to 4. He had 700 (laughs) wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Well, there's your problem right there. (laughs) Keeping a thousand women happy (laughs) are always going to bring you down. And his time was devoted to worldly strategies and alliances as if God wasn't going to take care of him after all this. And in being worldly wise, he forgot godly wisdom. And in the end, and this is so sad, he compromised his worship of God. And, And not only did he just compromise his worship of God, but the scripture says that he took to worshiping idols. Idols as dark as Molech. I mean, just as, as bad as you can get. And why did he do that? Because he loved these women so much, it says. And so his misplaced allegiance, that egotistical self-worth, took the wisdom of God from him. So you might get wisdom, but you need to keep wisdom. It's this commodity that needs a continual renewal. Yeah, and, 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 and what happened to Solomon here very, very clearly is he lost his clear initial focus. He was clear. He had that crystal clear water where he could see all the details, and he just yeah. muddied it so that he didn't know it was in it anymore. So the result of this prideful approach was a discredit to wisdom, not to mention a discredit to God himself. And Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the very end of his life, And it was the end of his very wealthy, fabulous, legendary, exotic life. And here we find a depressed and bitter man who sees where he went wrong. And he warns us what we, you and me, Rick, what we need to do in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, reading from the New Living Translation. The last word after all has been heard is honor God and obey his laws. This is what every person must do. It is, and it's a simple thing. And, and those two words, Julie, you know, honor God, are two words that are very special to me because that's, that's the goal of my life. That's my stated goal. I sat years ago and said, what do, what do I, I want to be when I grow up? And I was already an adult, but it, and, and that's what I came up with. I want to honor God, and that means with every part of me. And again, 
The way to do that is to get out of the way. That's the way to do that. Wisdom without humility leads to destructive behavior, for at its heart is some form of idolatry. Never forget that. At its form, at its heart, is some form of idolatry when we have uh, wisdom without humility. There's something wrong with that. James 3, 17, in contrast. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. You look at all of those aspects of wisdom in that scripture, and you see that it's very simple, very straightforward, very profound, very, everybody wants pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, good mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Everybody would love that in their leadership. That's what godly wisdom brings. Earthly wisdom doesn't get us there. So giving wisdom a chance to work, wisdom cannot survive without within us without a genuinely humble spirit. To always look up and give God the glory is eternally appropriate. Jesus himself taught us this humble and wise approach through his life, his example, his teaching, and his death. Wisdom can't survive within us without a genuinely humble spirit. So what we're seeing here is wisdom is hard to come by. No matter No wonder we see so little of it in our world today. It takes way too much effort for our world. For wisdom to work, we need understanding, integrity, and humility. But what is true wisdom based upon? Thus far, we focused on what we need to have working for us to be able to live with wisdom. The final and perhaps biggest question of all is what is wisdom itself based on? As Christians, we're always going to answer that wisdom is based on the Bible. And, and that's true. But think a minute. Think. The Bible, what's the Bible based on? The Bible is based upon the righteousness of God himself. But plenty of people go through life without ever becoming wise or even giving it a second thought. With all the other parts of our character that we're supposed to be working on, is this really that important? I mean, it's not even one of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's so much to work on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's so much to pray for. So, so, so why are you adding this to the? To, why do to I have to add this? Well, you know, and it's interesting because wisdom is a way to be able to positively affect anyone and everyone around you, even if you are not in a position of great influence. If you have godly wisdom, you are a better witness to God Himself. So think about how important it is to say, okay, I'm a Christian, I walk through life, and I want people see, to see Jesus through me. Well, what did Jesus do? Everything that God told him. So what should we do? Well, what Jesus did, everything that God tells us according to Scripture. So why is it so important? Because it makes us reflect who God is. It makes us reflect the humility and the compassion and the drive and, and the mission of Jesus himself. So we need it. We absolutely need it, and we should, I think, we really should be praying for it. So wisdom needs godly righteousness. Without a God-based righteousness approach, wisdom becomes an individual conclusion, a social media trend, or a product of, of groupthink. It's funny when you said godly righteousness, I was thinking, well, what other kind is there? <laughs> but then, you know, you could be self-righteous, you could be cause-righteous, you could be group-righteous, all of which can be divisive. So in episode 1184, we talked about righteous indignation in social media and in the news with cancel culture. 
So I do recommend uh, episode 1184, uh, Is Christianity Being Canceled? And, you know, we get very righteous about the things we believe in in this world. And when you get into politics... Self-righteous. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's the problem. Or group righteous. You know, we've got the right way, they've got the wrong way. And inevitably, folks, it's all wrong. If we're not looking at it God's way only, then somehow or other, we're in the wrong place. So, really, there's a stark contrast between one who is wise and God-honoring and one who has the power. And we see that every day. As we shall see, godly righteousness brings wise behavior. We're going to do a quick contrast here between David as a young man compared to King Saul. So let's go to 1 Samuel 18.5 to begin that comparison. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David did whatever Saul told him to, because Saul's the king, and it says he behaved himself wisely. David's godly righteousness was initially rewarded by King Saul. King Saul's like, wow, this young man is something. I sent him to do things, and he does it with fervor, and he does it you know, with great obedience, and, and it's because David was honoring God. That was the thing that was driving him, and that's what King Saul saw. However, David continues honoring God as time goes by, as Saul begins to descend into the darkness of his own mind. And remember Nebuchadnezzar descending into the darkness we talked about a few minutes ago. Well, here King Saul is now starting to descend into that same kind of darkness, that self-centered, egotistical, personal thing. 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's do verses 12, 14, and 16. And this is from King James Version. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. And David himself, excuse me, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So you have the contrast. Saul knows God has departed from him. And now he's angry, and now he's going to be after David. The guy who's doing it the right way, the godly way, and cheerfully following all the orders is the one who becomes the enemy. And, and that's so much the case in, in the world in which we live. No you, good deed goes unpunished. Right. No, no godly deed goes yeah. unpunished. You know, we, we look at this in, in, in the highest way possible. See, true wisdom seeks and finds its strength in godly righteousness, no matter what the cost. And David never wavered, even though Saul sought his life. Yeah, and to refresh yourself with this story, branch out over to episode 1130, How Can I Fight for God's Purposes Like King David? And we have some great corresponding CQ Kids uh, videos. Who was David? Parts one and two. And who was King Saul? Parts one and two. Never too early to start teaching these lessons at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Wisdom is such an important part of our lives. Folks, don't underestimate it. And, and look, it's, is it work? Oh, yeah, it's a lot of work. And, and, but is it worth it? I am telling you, the, the, the beauty and the peace you get when you can be reflective of God's wisdom is, is profoundly powerful and life-changing. So as Christians, we need God's righteousness to continue as disciples. Now we're started, we started out as disciples, but God's righteousness is what helps us to continue. Uh, Julie, let's go to Matthew 6, 30 to 33. For if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? 
you of little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? And Rick, before I finish, I want you to know, I think of this scripture every time I stand in front of my closet and say, I've got nothing to wear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Continuing with verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And, and Julia, that last verse means a lot to me. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And by doing so, if you focus on the highest things, God helps you to, to take care of the other things. And a lot of times we think, well, I don't have time for God. I don't have time for this and, and, and this and this and this because I've got to work and, and do all those things. And sure, it's true. You do have to work and do all those things. But if you seek godliness first— what happens is your, 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 your ability can expand if you truly are seeking righteousness. And that ability expanding gives you the opportunity and privilege to be godly, to seek godly wisdom and God's righteousness, and be able to take care of things like, little things like, I don't know, supporting your family and all of that. Because we can't let go of those things, but we have to do these things in conjunction with one another. Godly wisdom, godly righteousness. Now, a wise and productive Christian approach presents an inherent contradiction to worldly wisdom. We've already discussed worldly wisdom is on one level, godly wisdom is a completely different level. The two don't get along, incidentally. And we're going to see that in these next verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 30. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, Rick, what does that mean, the foolishness of God, the weakness of God? How is God foolish and weak? He's not. And this is the Apostle Paul, and we've discussed this previously. This is the Apostle Paul using sarcasm to make a point. If God were foolish, his most foolish moment would be so far above your best wisdom and righteousness, you can't even compare it. That, okay. that's, that's what he's saying. He's giving us this, this, this glorious comparison that God is so far above us that it's just not possible to compare. And it's interesting, it, you know, Jesus is called the, our wisdom, and, and, and we're going to get back to that in, in a little bit. Wise Christian thinking embraces godly righteousness as its sole source. So this stand is sure to bring criticism from others as those called are not usually those in the highest worldly positions. And we're going to see that now as we continue in verses 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. So to me, this says we're like salmon swimming upstream. You know, our natural inclination is to think and act sinfully. But if we have the capacity to rely on his righteousness and not worldly money or social status or earthly wisdom, everything I do must be fueled by godly righteousness and all my thoughts must be god driven 
that's what's in front of my mind each day. And that's why seeking godly wisdom is such an important thing, because it's how do you apply those things in this world that's so completely contrary. And the reason that God chooses people that are kind of regular, the Apostle Peter, great example, he's just a regular guy, a hardworking guy, kind of gruff. But he became one of the great leaders of the apostles because he had a heart for God. Because we want no man, this is what the scripture says, no man should boast in God. And, and that's a powerful thing. That's why godly wisdom really needs that humility that we were talking about earlier. It's not about you, it's about God through you. So our call to Christ and our stand in God's wisdom and righteousness will eventually nullify worldly wisdom. That's a strange thing to think about. It nullifies because all of this is going to come to an end at some point. Let's continue with verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus became to us wisdom from God. You want to know, understand godly wisdom, understand Jesus. You want to follow godly wisdom, follow Jesus. He's wisdom, he's righteousness, sanctification, he's redemption. You find everything through him, and by being a disciple, following in his footsteps, is a great way to begin to develop godly wisdom. So, we're disciples of Jesus. He is our wisdom. He brings us our understanding. He teaches us our integrity. He models for us our humility, and he provides us with righteousness before God. It's all there. It's all there in Jesus. Our godly wisdom is summed up in his life, his teachings, his experiences, his death, and his resurrection. So, as we get, get ready to go back to James 3, any lack of God-based righteousness in our wisdom results in it becoming no more than a conclusion based on a compiled collection of self-centered and worldly-influenced thinking. James 3.18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's, That's a, the opposite of what you just said, the right. self-centered and the worldly thinking and all that. So, and, and again, you have this calmness when you think of godly wisdom. It's this calmness. It's, it doesn't have to ruffle. It just has to be present. So if we want to seek wisdom, what do we do? We pray. We ask for wisdom. We study Jesus because he is wisdom personified. He said, is there anything else that we should do? Well, yeah. You know, you, you study, you pray, you observe you look for God's providences, I would, and I have, and I do, I look to those who know, and I, and I try to follow their example. You know, it's, it's interesting, when, when, when you're dealing with, with people, and, and you know that I have a lot of experiences in, in dealing, counseling with, with, with people, different issues and all of that. I'm, sure. not, I'm not a trained counselor, but I pay really close attention to the professionals. And I watch what they do, and I listen to what they say, and I watch how they approach things. And it helps me understand the dynamics of, of communicating with a human being. And then what I try to do, not say I'm always successful, but what I try to do is say, okay, Lord, I'm learning these things. How do I do this to honor your name? How do I do this with your wisdom? How do I get out of the way and let you work through me so I can be helpful to what's going on here? So you model those who know. And if you have those who are Christians around you that, are, that show great wisdom, latch on to them, learn from them, listen, ask them about their experiences. So it's not just your own study and your own prayer and your own experiences, but it's those who are around you who've shown you what godly wisdom looks like. So there's a lot to do. 
So giving wisdom a chance to work. The highest wisdom is inevitably fed by the highest source. When we base our wisdom entirely on godly righteousness, we will become one who makes peace. And that's powerful because the inevitable end of all godly wisdom is peace. That's what God's plan is about. It comes through God's wisdom as expressed through the wisdom given to those who follow Jesus. That's where we're all going here. That's what we want. That's the, that's the big end result. So, so with all of these wisdom lessons in mind, let's now look at the words of Jesus. And Julie, you alluded to the Beatitudes earlier. Let's look at those words of Jesus and see them through the eyes of understanding, integrity, humility, and godly righteousness. So when we look at Matthew 5, 3 to 9, Julie, let's go through this and just give pause after each point just for a second so we can begin to let it sink in. I need to see this with understanding, with integrity, humility, and godly righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So when we look at these things, pause and consider the importance of putting godly wisdom to work as we are trying to live up to these things. And and remember that oftentimes our godly wisdom is only as good as our last request for godly wisdom. It's not something that you're going to get and just going to stay there like, okay, you own it. No, no. We learn it again and again and again. When we look at the Beatitudes, let's look at the learning of those things and apply this wisdom, this, 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 this understanding and this integrity and this humility and this godly righteousness. It will change our lives. And by God's grace, we can therefore change the lives of those around us. Godly wisdom is something that we want to strive for every day. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, talk about godly wisdom. Coming up next week, why aren't my prayers answered? Did you ever ask that question? Why aren't my prayers answered? We'll talk to you next week.